Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you use the area code 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go, and we sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing folks all around the country and all around town. Even all around the world. There you go. Wherever you happen to be, you give us a call and get you right straight to us. That's the wonder of modern technology. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But like most weeks, we kind of pick one topic Uh that we more or less talk about between calls. But as always, anything you have on your mind, because we're talking about one thing, doesn't mean that's the question you have to ask. You can ask questions about any topic that might be on your mind. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Let's see. We got a phone call already. We're going to go to the line with Clark. Good morning, Clark. Good morning, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Yeah, I tried to get a hold of y'all two weeks ago, but I guess with that flood, y'all uh, had to abandon the show, too. Right? <laughs> yes, sir. They bumped us that day. Yeah, I have a 2008 CRV. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble with the air conditioning flowing hot air. Okay. And I think the compressor's not running, mm-hmm. and I checked the pressure on it, and like the low pressure is, it's equalized at around 90%. Yeah, three pounds a square inch. So I guess that's why I can't get free on there. Yeah, now you saying it blows hot, Clark? You mean it blows ambient? No, it just yeah. doesn't get cold. Yeah, it's yeah, not blowing yeah. hot like a heater. Yeah. Okay, no, uh, no, no, I'm gonna tell you, Clark. One of the common things we see on that vehicle, and I see this pretty often, is the fan. Uh, excuse me, the uh, compressor clutches go out on them quite a bit, and right. pretty easy to determine. Just get a voltmeter and go to the clutch, and there's two wires there. I think one's red, one's black. Just put the voltmeter across them and command the AC on and see if you got a signal. Okay. If you've got 12 volts flowing and it's not engaging, then odds are it's the clutch call is bad. That's yeah. pretty common. Now, if you don't have power, also we do change some of the relays for the I, compressor clutch. I, which is I, did, re- I, I did check that because mm-hmm. I, I used one of the ones that was just like it next to it. Yeah, right. did, 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 I did. Yeah, that didn't work. Well, if the compressor's not turning, which it sounds like it's not, if the pressures are equalized, it most likely is going to be that clutch. So you just need to check it and see. Now, let me ask you, how many miles are on the vehicle, Clark? Lot? 80,000. Okay. I did check Fairly online. Low. I know there's a recall mm-hmm. on that. The It's a 2008, so it was only seven years. Yes, so sir. It's mm-hmm. so it's that. But there's another issue that's going on, too. Okay. We just, uh, it was, I just did the replace the airbag. Mm-hmm. In the driver and the passenger side, mm-hmm. and it sat there for a month, and we got it back just a few days before the flood hit. Wow! And that's when we noticed that you know that's why I hadn't been able to get to it. And I was wondering, I, I asked the guy at the the dealer, I said, "Is there any wires that you might have disconnected?" And I think he alluded to that maybe there was one on the passenger side. It's possible. There's some wiring that runs through there. Again, it's pretty simple to diagnose. You just get a voltmeter, go to the yeah. compressor. If you got voltage and ground, then you, you know it's about in the clutch. Else, you forget about right. everything else. Now, if you yeah. don't, then you can start looking for more complicated stuff. But it's like I say all the time, if you hear hoof prints behind you, you assume it's horses, not zebras. You know, <laughs> go, yeah. go to the simple stuff first. Right, yeah, it's just a pain to get down in there, man. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very You're best off if you got a lift or something where you can lift a car. You can get to it from underneath fairly easy, but you might try going through the wheel opening, too. Sometimes you can jack up, take oh, tire yeah. off, and go through there and get to it a little easier. Yeah. And I believe you can buy just the coil from Honda without having to buy the whole clutch assembly. You don't have to buy the bearing and the plate. With 80,000 miles, you could probably get by just putting a coil on it. Okay, okay. We may bring it to you in there. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got one other question. Sure. Is uh, I also have a Toyota Camry. My son 
barely got a little bit of water in it from the flood. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to dry it out yes, sir. and all that. Do you really need to yank the carpet out of that thing? We had like about an inch of it, and I got to it within a day. Yeah. Right. And I vacuumed it all out, there, and I've been airing it out every day. Yeah, you can do it without pulling the carpet. It just, removing the carpet allows you to clean it more thoroughly and get all, anything there's, that might be under it. Right, there's a jute backing, just like in your house, there's a backing underneath that carpet that will right. retain water, and it doesn't matter how much you vacuum, yeah. how much heat gets in it, you've got right. to get it turned over where the air can get, where it can get exposed to the air. And heat, and that will dry it out. Yeah, what happens a lot is because that carpeting is sort of a nylon base, it'll feel nice and dry, but the jute underneath may still be damp, and you'll start to get an odor in the car later on. I mean, you could take and pull some of it up, reach under there and feel, and if it's dry, and I mean, you may be okay with it if you aired it out enough. But uh, you just have to kind of take it on a one-by-one basis. Not every car is going to be the same. but Oh, sure. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pulling it out just gives you the advantage. What I like to do is take them out, pressure wash them. We've got some disinfectant soap made mm-hmm. for that purpose. We wash them good with that. Pressure wash them again. Lay them in the sun. Let the sun really cook that uh, bacteria because, you know, most bacteria doesn't like sunlight a whole lot. It, it tends to kill it and make it fresher, and it airs out. And then when you put it back in, it's nice and clean. It smells good. You know if there's anybody in Baton Rouge that does that kind of work? I called Team Collision. Yeah, we can do that. They said y'all can do sure. that. Oh, yeah. We do that all. I probably got 15 cars there right now. It's hard apart. A lot of shops in Baton Rouge are doing that kind of right almost now. Any, find the right yeah, one. Almost any good shop can do that. It's not any different than taking anything else apart. It's just bolting, unbolting. But it's just that a lot of them are so inundated with other work, they just don't have time to do it or, or right. just don't choose to do it or whatever. But, I mean, right. it's just really taking the seats out, taking the console out, taking – I mean, it's the stuff that we work, do every yeah. day anyway because there's so many modules and computers under the seats and all now that we have to get to anyway. So that right. you have to be able to get to it. So, Yeah, I know there's a – because we did that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. My son was at LSU, and he, he ran off the road into that LSU lake, and mm-hmm. the right front wheel got under, and they replaced, they pulled all the carpet out. There's a safety module or something on all your airbags mm-hmm. under, that, mm-hmm. under that console, so I know we got to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we may come see you there. We may okay. come see you with the air conditioner, too, if I don't get okay. the same running. Sounds good, right. Clark. Thank you all. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, two nine one six nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. Of course, we talked about flood cars, flooded cars we last did. week. We did. Quite a bit. So I think we, if you have a, a question, question on that, yeah, please give us a call. I know a lot of local people will be interested, but. People who aren't in the local area may not, so we don't want to right. be, beat a dead horse <laughs> to death. <laughs> I was driving in this morning and coming down to I-10, I'm doing 70 miles an hour, and this guy comes by me in an avalanche, and I can see he's having some trouble controlling the vehicle. Right, It's really bouncing around a lot, and he's got some stuff in the back, some wheelbarrows, one thing or another, right. but it was pretty apparent to me that he had a shock absorber problem with uh-huh. the vehicle, and... What it appeared was that one shock was maybe completely dead and the other, and the other was working. Was, right. Or possibly one was froze up and the other one was normal. It'd be hard to tell just by watching him go down the road. But it was bouncing around up and down, up and down, and side to side. And as he passed by, you could see it sort of wobbling around. And right. I, I'm just thinking how difficult it's supposed to be to drive this vehicle. At that speed, yeah. At, yeah, at that speed particularly because he was going a little fast. I was doing probably 70 and he came by me not like I was sitting still, but he passed me, so right. he was going faster than that. But shock absorbers are one of those things that, like most things, they don't only fail one way. They Correct. fail a number of ways. 
and they don't go bad as much as they used to because I think they're using a better shock absorber for the most part better on parts. cars today. But it is something that can go bad. They can go bad in a number of different ways, and they can cause you a bunch of different problems. Sure. And I thought we'd talk a little bit about that All right. today. One of the biggest things with getting to this time of year, I know for some reason in October – they do all these shocktober fests and uh-huh. all this kind of garbage. The shock absorber companies start pushing shocks, and they probably oversell that as much as any other part of a car. Yeah. Many, many, many times you'll go in with a vehicle, and somebody will tell you, well, you need a set of shocks, and I don't know, people fall for that quite a bit. And it's bad enough that you are spending money on something you don't necessarily need. That's a problem. But what is a much bigger problem is that the vast majority of the aftermarket shocks on the market today are not as good as the ones you're taking off. Right, the ones that have 50, 80, 100,000 right. miles on them. A good OEM shock with 80 to 100,000 miles may be better than that brand-new parts store shock right. that you're buying. Right. So you're trading down rather than trading up. And like I said, there's a number of ways you can tell when a shock absorber is bad and when it really needs changing. And we're going to go over that. We're going to take a quick little break. Whenever we get back, we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Sounds great. If you ever plan to motor west. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you got a question, you give us a call, 291-6901. That's Just it. Straight to the top of the list. Get your questions answered very quickly and efficiently today. There you go. <laughs> and we were talking a little bit about shock absorbers and such as that. And clearly one of the leading ways that shock absorbers seem to fail is they start to leak. Right. And it depends on how much leakage a shock has mm-hmm. as to if it's bad or not. That's right. I've seen a little seepage right around the seal where the shaft goes into the bushing. And unscrupulous people will tell you, hey, the shock's leaking. It's, it's bad. Right. Yeah. you, you got to change it. Yeah, right. And, and that's not and the it's case. Not. No. Most shock absorbers under certain conditions may lose a little bit of fluid around the shaft because the shaft is working up and down right. very, very quickly. And it's got a lot of pressure on it. And a little bit of oil can seep past that seal. And that is not the sign of a failure. Right. And what happens once that oil seeps out, it starts collecting dirt and debris right. and stuff. And that way you, you can see it. Mm-hmm. But... Like you were saying, that's the way they work. Now, if the shock is starting to leak down the case right. to a certain point, the shock is still usable as long as it's bound and rebound right. is working correctly. That's correct. And I know Ford says if the oil on the side of the case is less than half the length of the shock, right. then it does then not represent not. a problem. 
I think Toyota's policy is if the oil is not dripping off of the shock, and the, the whole shock could be wet, if it's not dripping, forming a drop on the bottom, then, then it's, it's not really a as problem. As long as it's still bound and rebound, working correctly. Correct. Other possible other things. Now, other ways that shock absorbers do go out, like you said, the bounce rebound, uh-huh. the jounce rebound. That's kind of obvious. I mean, you go over to the vehicle, you push up and down on the bumper. Right. It's going to go up once or twice, and then stop, it's going to stop. Settle out. But if it keeps bouncing like it has no shock on it at all, like right. it's a spring, then, yeah, the shocks are, are definitely past their usage. That's right. And that's what a shock absorber does. Some people are just a little bit confused by that. Shock absorbers do not hold the car up. No. They do not. Not uh, regular hydraulic shocks. No, now, yeah. there, there are, there are air shocks that could possibly have a load a, carrying capacity. Or a spring that is wrapped around a shock. Over, it's a load carrying. But then again, a spring is carrying load. Right. Shock absorbers resist motion. Right. They resist motion in both directions. Well, when being, one direction is jounce, the other one is rebound. Right. And being a spring, you know how a spring works. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you bounce it, it bounces, it just keeps going until the kinetic energy stops. Right. And what the shock does is it stops that motion. Right. It lets it do its job, but then it stops it, the residual it resists, motion. It resists the motion. And there is, like you said, jounce and rebound. There are valving in the shock that control the rate at which it will resist motion in either direction. And it may not be the same. Uh-huh. Because it may jounce harder than it rebounds, or it may rebound harder than it jounces. And also, at different speeds, the jounce rebound will be different. Correct. You have multiple valving in a shock absorber. We're going to talk about that a little bit when we get back. we got to go to a phone call. we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Louis. How are yes, y'all doing? Doing today? great, sir. Doing great. I'm working on a 96 Chevrolet Impala SS. Okay. And it's got a multitude of problems. So what started everything off, it ran hot, it was running bad. I had multiple misfires, mm-hmm. 0300. Water pump was leaking down on the optic distributor. Mm-hmm. All right. It was time for a tune-up anyway. I went ahead and put plug wires, plug, new distributor, and new water pump, everything. Mm-hmm. I'm still getting a misfire. Now, that's, I think my next step on that is probably going to be a compression test. I, I would, yeah. Drop the valve spring or walk, you know, well, weaken see, the valve spring. Well, I'm going to tell you what happens on that. That's the LT1 engine, Mike, and that engine is different from every other small block Chevrolet in that the cooling system flows backwards. It flows opposite direction that almost every, well, than any other small block does. And right. that has given more than pump, a few problems. Mm-hmm. Water pump feeds each side of the engine. Correct. Uh, and, and it's flowing in the opposite direction. Over. Right. But they do have some problems with those blowing head gaskets. Most small block Chevrolets, you almost never suspect a head gasket just because it's so rare on them. They just don't have much trouble. But I think almost every small block I've ever changed head gaskets on has been the LT1s. Right. Uh, if it gets hot, it will blow a head gasket, which will cause you multiple misfires because coolant can leak into the combustion chamber, which puts out the fire effectively, especially if the misfire is when you first crank up and gets better after it runs a little bit. Uh, it doesn't seem to change. You know, it's there. It's a it's a constant misfire. And mm-hmm. I feel, it feels like it's a single cylinder, mm-hmm. but on my scanner, I'm getting 0300 multiple uh, which, you know, kind of hard to tell. Well, but see, that could be your scanner, too, because O three hundred is just the base code, and oh, then you'll have your 301, 302, 303, 304, and so on in mode 6. Your your tool may not read that. So it's just telling you there's a misfire, but it can't identify the cylinder, which yeah. you need is a little more sophisticated tool to find that. Normally, it, it's pretty good about identifying which cylinder, but, you know, it, yeah. it could be. It could that, be that. See, it depends. If you got, like, a dead miss, yeah, it's going to pick that up because the, the crank sensor is going to notice the loss of power on one cylinder. 
But if right. you got a subtle misfire, or let's say you got a misfire on two cylinders, it may not be able to detect that. You have to go to mode six where you can get a power balance test. You can watch the cylinders on a graph, and then you can you can pick it up. Okay. Uh, one more question. I've got same car. Mm-hmm. The instrument cluster odometer is one of these electronic odometers. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't light up. Yeah, yeah, they had some issues with that as well. Mike, there are places around that you can send those to, and they can swap out that LED for you. It's not anything that you can do locally because you can't get the parts to do. You can't get the little LED. And I don't believe GM sells that LED. I was wondering. I I know I can take it to the dealer, and they can send it out and have it repaired They can. I, I don't know if there's any place locally that does that. Not that I'm aware of. We send them off also, or I buy them through GM who sends them off. We can install it and that sort of thing. But I know there are guys on the Internet who do that type of work. Some of them specialize in that. So I'd probably just do a web search and see. You'll find somebody in there who can handle that for you. Okay, good deal. Right. I appreciate the info, guys. Okay, Mike. Right. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. We're talking a little bit about shock absorbers right. and, and such. and the multiple valving, and the way those work, if you push the car up and down by hand, say with your knee, it may feel okay because that's going through one set of valves. Correct. But when you're going down the road at 70 miles an hour and you hit a big old hole in the road, the force is much, much greater. And what it will do, there's multiple valves in there. Some of them are spring-loaded, and it would go through a different set of valves under those conditions. Now, that valve may fail, the car will feel okay when you jounce it with your knee, but it lacks control at speed. Uh-huh. So that's one other way that a shock absorber can go out. Now, another thing is that sometimes the valves will seize up, and the shock absorber will technically lock up. Correct. We see that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You see it on certain cars, like some of your, what's the little GM car? Trailblazer, is it? Uh, or the Envoy? I think it's the Envoy. Yeah. Those, what will happen is that when the shock absorbers start to get a few miles on them, let's say they got 80, 100,000 miles, you take it in, say, to the shop, and they're doing some work where it has to be lifted in the air. Correct. Like, for instance, let's say they're doing brake Or tire rotation. Or tire rotation. Anything that has to get the vehicle off the ground unless the suspension droops. Right. The suspension hangs down. The fluid can leak past that valve and fill one chamber. When you set it down, it's locked up. Right. The, now, the fluid can't get past back past that valve right. that it came through. And so it rides like an absolute log wagon. Sure. There, there's no shock absorber on it. It just bounces. And, of course, it's tempting to blame the shop and say, well, it wasn't doing it when it came in, all right. that kind of right. stuff. But the fact is it's just a problem with that vehicle in the design. And, you know, the, the little Honda CRV. Hondas have had that are, problem. We've gone to a, a flat rack when we have to work on a Honda a CRV. With, with any miles with on any it. With any miles on it, we'll roll it up on a flat rack and lift it by the suspension. And I will generally, if we can't do it that way for a reason, like if we're having to take the tire off of it, then what I'll do is try to tell the customer before we start on it, hey, look, this is a possibility. Right. And sometimes it happens. And I know it's aggravating you brought the car in, not doing it, and you get doing it back it and now, doing it, right. but they didn't cause the problem. They're just delivering the problem. The right. guy who designed the shock caused the problem. In fact, we've got one coming in next week for that same mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, shocks just, just freeze up on the boy, and when it does, if both of the shocks freeze up, then it just rides like a wagon. Well, you're only riding on the cushion of the sidewall of the tire. Then right. you're not riding on a suspension. So it's just like having a, a solid suspension. A solid rod. In there, right. Yeah. If one side 
freezes up, then it's a really wild ride. Because well, sure. what happens, one side is jouncing up and down, the other side's not. Right. So the whole car starts to rock back but, and forth. And like you were saying, if they both lock up, the whole axle doesn't pivot out from underneath the car. But if only one does, if only one shock is locked up, then that's the other side can pivot up and down mm-hmm. on that same axle, and it gets kind of squirrely there right that's especially bad when it's a rear one. Oh yeah because when the rear locks up what happens the whole car starts to rock back and forth and it rocks through the front sure and so it, it changes the suspension geometry mm-hmm. i've seen where it can get so bad it will break the sway bar uh-huh. on the car in fact i remember years ago when you got a car in with a broken sway bar that's it the- would just break first thing you look for is a bad shock yep one bad shock and what happens as that car is rocking back and forth, the sway bar is twisting back sure, and forth, trying, trying to, to control it. it. And it will shear that sway bar off. It looks like you took a, a hacksaw and right, just, just sawed it, it perfectly straight across. I mean, it's it's weird. It's really wicked the way it'll do. And you wouldn't think a one-inch solid steel, tool steel bar would break. You put enough tension on it, it will. Well, you keep enough it, twist. Keep twisting it back and forth. That's right. <laughs> it's just like, just like a paper clip. You keep twisting it back and forth, it's going to break. It will go ahead and break. So. But that's another way that shocks go out is there's not bouncing around, but lack of bouncing around. Now, another thing that shock absorbers will do, and that's where they'll develop a noise, an internal noise, which can be aggravating as the devil. Right. It's just a a brass bushing that that steel shaft is riding on in that shock. Mm -hmm. And being what it is, it does have oil around it, and it it is made to do that job. But after a while, that brass starts to wear out, Mm -hmm. and the shaft will get loose in the case. Yeah. And it it will knock... And the only, say on a strut, a strut has a spring around it that keeps mm-hmm. it Tight. compressed. So the only way to feel that, besides experience in our case, is to take the spring off of the strut and take the shaft and the case and wiggle them back and forth. And you can hear them. Clunk, 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 clunk. Right. You will not feel it in no, the car because that, that shock spring is probably lifting at least a quarter of the weight of the car or more. Sure. So it's got several hundred pounds of pressure on it. It's going to hold it nice and tight. Well, even when you take it out of the car, it's still, that spring That's is still right. compressed, holding all that stuff tight. You're just not strong enough to move it around until you get the spring off of it. Once you take the spring off, then you can feel the slack. Now, they I, can also fail internally. It's just something comes loose inside the right. shock, and they'll make a noise. Right. What happens very often, too, is that at the top of the strut or shock, there's generally a mount, which is made out of rubber. To cushion it from the vehicle. Right. Those will go bad, and what happens, let's say the shock goes bad internally, then it in turn tears up the mount. Uh-huh. Well, I've seen people take the strut out, replace just the mount. And put it all, put back, it all together. back together. Still got a noise. And still have a noise. Right. So... The point is, if you got a lot of miles on it and you do have a bad strut mount, you're there anyway. You got the strut out anyway. Right. You got it in your hand. Go ahead and replace both of them as a pair, and that way you'll avoid having to do that job twice. Yep. Hey, we can take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was... All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh... 
All wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call, 291-6901. And that's what Johnny did. Good morning, Johnny. Hey, how are you doing? Doing great, doing great. sir. Uh, what were you talking about shocks? You know, I have a, a question and see if you might give me a solution. You bet. 2000 Avalon Tower. Uh-huh. And I'm getting on that little, it seems like it's on the back there. Get that kind of rough ride, roll, bump, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like something in my trunk, you yes, know. Yes, sir, like yeah. a knocking noise. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do I have there? Do I have a struts? Do I have a No, it's got struts in the back, and we'll go over what difference in a strut and shock in a minute. But most of the time on those, Johnny, it's the mount that goes bad, the rubber mount. That rubber goes bad, and you'll get like a bump, 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 bump when you hit bumps and stuff with it. How many miles you got on the car, Johnny? About 156 on the Well, yeah, when you got 150,000, if you could change the mount, you might as well change the strut because you got to take the strut out to change the mount anyway, and it's got 150,000 miles on them. But most of the time, that's what it is. Now, there's a couple of things it could be. One thing, the stabilizer bar in the rear can make that same exact noise. And what happens is the bushing, the rubber bushing that holds it to the body gets hard over time, and it start, the bar starts to wear it out because it's hard now instead of soft, and it will loosen up, mm-hmm. and that bar will bounce around in that rubber block, and you'll hear it. It sounds just like a What strut. we do, we'll just temporarily disconnect the sway bar and tape the links up out of the way and go drive it again. If the noise is gone, we know that's what it is. We know the noise it's in is the still sway there, bar. then... We hook microphones up and verify, right. but most of the time what we see that upper strut mounts are making those noises. And that link that connects the sway bar to the suspension, mm-hmm. where however it connects, sometimes they connect to the strut, sometimes they connect to the knuckle. There's a ball in the socket there that will wear out and Make give you the same, same noise. Kind of noise. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it, it also get that rough ride. That, that may be the key to problem is the ride. Yes, yeah, so if, if it's riding rougher, then, of course, i tell you what I have noticed, Johnny, a lot of people will come in and say it's riding rough. And when I drive it, I don't notice it's riding rough. It's just making a lot of noise. makes it feel like it's riding rough. Y'all, that racket in the back just makes it feel like it's rough. And I'm not saying that's the case with yours, but I know a lot of times people will come in, they describe it as a rough ride, what it really is a noisy ride. It's just you hear all that racket, and it just makes you feel like things rough. Right. Okay, so the solution... Shocks and, uh, uh, well, yeah, just you got to verify, make right. sure it's not a sway bar or something like right. that. But if it's not, most likely it's going to be your struts and your mounts. Right. Okay. One more question while we talk. 82 Chevrolet C10, mm-hmm. 305 yep. engine. Yes, yeah, that transmission. I think I know what's wrong with it, but, you know, like I moved it when the rain, you know, was in the flood. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get water in the transmission. It got up on, you know, by the bad tires because it was sitting on a scant. Mm-hmm. Now I started up and I put it in gear and everything. She shipped and everything, but it won't move. Do I have electrical or valve down there on that transmission? That made mm, not no normally, not on that transmission, you wouldn't. That's a three-speed with electric lockup. Yeah, most likely. The only simple thing, Johnny, make sure that it's not low on fluid because when you had it parked on the incline like that, the fluid may have a little leak at the rear tail house. It may have leaked some fluid out. And it may engage reverse, but won't engage drive. If it's not that, you're going to be into something like your forward clutches or something on it may have gone out on you. And the transmission. It right. could have, yes, sir. I would just make sure. In fact, you could just go ahead and dump another quart of fluid in it. It's not right. going to hurt. Even if it overfills, it's not going to hurt anything. Just dump another quart of fluid, and if it starts moving, then you, you know what you got. Right. So 
it's, it's not no electrical. Uh, no, sir. There's no, nothing sir. electrical on that one that's going to cause it not to move. I mean, it could make it shift later or shift earlier or shift harder, but it's nothing that's going to keep it from moving. It's got a mechanical link between the linkage and the transmission. Now, it is physically going in gear. As you can feel it when you move your shifter, it feels like it is going into gear. Yeah, you know, it feel like when we're you hurting. feel a little clicks and all. Uh huh. And but it just won't move. Yeah, I would kind of first off got, check and make sure it's not low on fluid. If it's not low on fluid, most likely you're gonna be inside the transmission somewhere. Right. So I don't have no vacuum nowhere that may. No, sir. Not on. Not that it keeps from moving. Right. Okay. Okay. All righty. I try that. Okay, okay man. Right, Thanks, Johnny. Bye bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want part of the automotive power. With most transmissions, when it shifts late, shifts funny, shifts hard, most of those things are problems on the outside or Uh can be problems on the outside. When it physically will not move in one or more gears. That's usually an internal Most of the time, you're going to be low on fluid fluid or an internal transmission problem. And I guess the only exception is on some of the later models where you have a, a manual lever position sensor, if that sensor is not telling it that you're in gear. Or if the linkage breaks, that's why uh-huh. I asked him if it felt like it was going in gear. Right. You know, you come to reverse, you got park and reverse. And I've seen the linkage wear out, and it'll move from park to reverse, but it won't go down far enough to catch drive. Well, it'll go through neutral, but like you're saying, it doesn't. It didn't come out of neutral. Right. The, lever, the linkage is the worn lever out. moves, but it doesn't physically put it into gear. Right. Right. So that would be another possibility. But if everything else is working, odds are you're going to be inside the transmission. On that particular one. Yeah, especially yeah. on that one because it doesn't have a lot of sophisticated electronics or anything like that, like some of the newer stuff would have. Let's go to our line with Daryl. Good morning, Daryl. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Good morning. Yeah, look, I got a 1982 Camaro, mm-hmm. and it went underwater. Okay. What you think about it? How, much, how far under did it go, Daryl? It went about... It got up to the top of the window. Yeah, yeah, it's, man, man, Daryl. Right. Unless you just absolutely love that car, I do. Well, you got you got to be willing to disassemble a lot of it, yeah. and maybe all of it, and basically start from the ground up. Yeah, you're gonna put probably more money into it than you could buy another car that hadn't been flooded of the same year, and use that one for parts, and use that one for parts because I mean, once water gets that high, even on a car that old, yeah. it's gonna just get into everything. And the problems are just going to be continuing. You know, it starts corroding up all those terminals under the dash and all that. And every time you turn around, something else is going wrong with it. I mean, most of the time, you I know you don't want to, Daryl, but you're better off. The money is better spent going to find another car that hadn't been flooded. Right. And like I say, you keep that for parts or sell it for salvage or whatever you might want to do. But you can't fix it, but you're going to dump so much money into it with a strong possibility of continuing problems. You saying the engine? No, no. I said no, you're the gonna, car you, itself. Yeah, the car itself. The bigger problem is not the engine. The bigger problem when water gets that deep is all the electrical under the dash and everything. It yep. just keeps giving you problems. The wiring, not as much, but the connectors tend to corrode once That's they right. get wet. And once that corrosion starts, you start losing conductivity in those connectors and you start getting all kind of weird problems, problems. And, yeah i mean you could technically pull the dash out and replace the wiring harness but i mean if you do that you're gonna spend as much money as a car is worth wow okay sir uh, thank you for uh, the all right, all right man thanks there bye-bye all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive we'd love to have you and we've got robert online good morning robert 
Hey, I've got a 98 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Mm-hmm. I think i got an electrical short in the steering column. The airbag light is on, and mm-hmm. the horn blows all the time. Yeah, yeah most likely, Daryl, that's what they call the clock spring. And mm-hmm. they, they might call it a squeal, but they might call it a clock spring. Both names apply. But what it is, it's just a little device under the steering column. And because the you know the old horns used to have a little ring with a brush in there with rub and let you turn the wheel and yeah. still make it contact, well, that's not good enough for an airbag. So what they do is they take a flat ribbon cable and they wrap it in one direction and then they wrap it in the other direction. And as you turn your wheel, it feeds out one way and it feeds out the other way. That's why I mm-hmm. call it a clock spring because it's wound up like a clock spring. Well, when yeah. it goes bad, it may break the wire to the airbag. Well, then, bam, the airbag light pops on. But then you may get a couple of wires touched together, which will blow the horn all the time. So there, there's, almost, three screws, there's three screws on the back of the airbag. Can I just pull those and just slide the airbag forward to get to it? I'm not sure how that bag comes out. So, there, there's, there's all so kind of many different ways different they come ways. out. Some of them require special tools. Some of them just some unscrew them have, out. Some of them have clips. Yeah. Some of them have brackets. What you got to be very careful with, Robert, is you don't want to deploy the bag. So you have to disconnect the battery and let the car sit for about an hour before you start on it. Right. What that okay. does is that allows time for the reserve battery in the airbag system to deplete. Right. Okay. Because if you just unhook the battery and then start messing with the airbag, you could technically deploy the bag. Right. So once you figure out how to get it out, some have screws, some have little special clips that you got to push something in there. I just have to look at that one. It's, I work with so many cars, I can't keep them all straight in my mind. But yeah. once you get the airbag out, your clock spring is going to be sitting right there. Well, you got to take the steering wheel off then. Right. The steering wheel has to come off. And then off. there may be another plate sitting on top of that, a and lock, then interlock plate some, or something. And maybe it's behind it. I don't remember on that column. But okay. you're going to have a wiring connector that plugs into the back of that clock spring. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. what you can do, just go ahead and make sure the steering wheel is straight and the wheels are pointed straight forward before you disassemble anything. Right. Because and when the new spring comes, it comes locked in a straight position. Right. So when you put it on the column, it all lines up and everything's straight. If you get it twisted more one way than the other when you turn the steering wheel you're gonna break the new clock spring yeah it happens all the time people have the wheel turn slightly well they put that new clock spring on which thinks the wheels are straight ahead so it turns further in one direction the other and you first time you make a hard turn one way you'll break the new clock spring right and the lights will pop back on and horn quit working right okay well that's that's what i needed to know i appreciate it be real careful too robert that little connector on there those give quite a bit of trouble the connectors will burn up or melt or get spread so check that little connector real good make sure it's good also because I, I know a lot of times when the clock spring goes out we have to change the connector also okay all right well that'll work i appreciate it okay all man. right sir thank you bye bye all right two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to part of the automotive out we would absolutely love to have you whatever your question may be today whatever it may be <laughs> we were talking about struts and shocks uh-huh. and you know those two words at one time were pretty much distinctly different animals right and now the, the I guess the dividing line has sort of blurred because you can have a shock now that almost looks like a strut and a strut that almost looks like a shock. Technically, they both do the same thing. Correct. The difference is a strut is designed to support weight, whereas has, a shock only dampens motion. Correct. But again, the the inner workings of the two are the same. They're the same. A, all struts contain a shock. Sure. And not all shocks are a strut. But... It really doesn't matter so much. It's just what your car has. It has one or the other. Or Right. And back in the day, many years ago, some of the struts would come where you had a removable top where you could change the shock remember in those. the strut. I, I don't remember think those. Those anybody make, makes no. them that way now. No. You just replace the whole assemblies now. You, you take the cartridge, the whole assembly out of the vehicle and take the spring off, 
once you got the spring off, there was a big nut on the top of right. the strut house, and you take a wrench and you undo that nut and you pull the cartridge out of the right. casing. You put a new case, the new cartridge in the casing, tighten it back up, and put the whole thing back together. I remember those were real prominent on the old Nissan 280ZX right. cars. There was also one that came as a welded unit. And you had to cut it. You would take like a big muffler cutter, yeah. and it had a little groove already there, showed you where to cut it. Right. You would cut it there, cut the top off, and the threads were already inside the housing. Right. The new the new cartridge would come with a and nut. You, when you took it out, it looked like a welded unit. When you got the replacement, it was a, and you go, whoa, how am I going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I remember those. So now that you mentioned They that. just come up with all these different designs and all. Well, Every I mean, engineer was, dreams up new stuff. That was the early years of struts. I mean, That's those, right. That was the first few years they had come out. Mm-hmm. With uh, front-wheel drive cars and some of your rear-wheel drive cars like the 280. But I remember those on them. Uh, and having to cut those out, and they worked fine. Oh, it, yeah. It, it was good design. I think it was some kind of General Motors product, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't remember. I just don't remember, I remember which one it was. I remember some of them came with shims because the stru- the cartridge was a little bit shorter than the original one. Could and be. And you had to put a washer in the well, bottom. And, and if you and didn't shim them properly, you get that knock, 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 right? knock. And you had to put a little oil around the case, too, that's to right. keep them cool. Well, that transferred the heat from the unit, which gets hot in use, to the to housing. Outside. And, uh, yeah, they came with oil in them. And if you dumped that out and put the new one in and didn't put oil back in, it would burn up. Yeah. So Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, me and little things like that, you got a, uh, I got a head full of useless knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I remember on those big nuts, you had to be certain that you got those good and tight. And it was also a good idea to put some type of Loctite or thread locking to keep that chemical on there, keep from it from backing, backing off. off. Right. We used to take and tack weld them, just put mm-hmm. a little tack weld on them. Because if that nut came apart, which it could do, it was a real fine thread, right. and they didn't get in there exactly right, they could come apart, and that was going to be a catastrophic failure for the customer. Yeah. And shocks and struts take a good bit of a beating anyway. We had a, a vice mm-hmm. that held those struts. I mean, I mean, in the last few, in the last years, we've quit using it because right. there's no need for it anymore but there was special vice to hold that unit well special vice can, special tools yeah screw the different nuts some were like a big hex some of them were round and had little holes in the top you right you had to have a spanner, spanner wrench to yep. get them loose mm-hmm. yeah yep. i remember all the special <laughs> tools there in the back of the toolbox now they yeah. they've migrated to the back of the drawer they, they, they keep getting full and full of bag pretty soon they get moved to the chest upstairs that's, that's it <laughs> the chest <laughs> of forgotten tools <laughs> <laughs> i like that one yep one of these days, I'm going to bring them out and make a museum uh-huh. because I've got tools going back 45 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of funny. You can pull some of those out and show them to a, a new guy, a new a newer, guy, younger guy. Yeah. yeah. What, what's what this for? <laughs> what does that do? I did that to Chris the other day. Yeah. Yep. Had something. He said, what is this for? I said, before your time, man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. I told you I had to kill you. But another way that shocks will fail is that the mountings, the bushings, mm-hmm. can wear out in them. Right. Some and of them- the rest of the shock may still be fine, but that, that rubber bushing wears out. It may start making a noise. Right. And some you can replace. Many you cannot replace. Some of them, over the years, it's just like that rubber bushing I was explaining on the sway bar earlier. Those bushings get hard. And when they get hard, they lose their elasticity. Right. They'll shrink down some, and then the compression on the nut is not as tight anymore, so they'll rattle in the metal part of the bracket. But they have to be there to keep the noise down. That's their job. That's right. They cushion that noise and vibration from the passenger's compartment. Correct. And keep it in the shock absorber where it doesn't do any harm because that's, right. that's where it's designed to be. I've also seen in rare cases where the round part that's welded to the housing will break. Uh-huh. And again, that's a catastrophic failure. We're going to take one last quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Oh, I had.
had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Question or comment, we'll be glad to try to get an answer for you. Still yeah, got a few minutes. Got all our lines wide open. That's right. Right now is a great time. We were talking about shocks and struts and such as that. You brought up a good point during the break about the mount on a strut. Right. Now, a shock mount is just the shock has a single shaft that sticks out the top. Mm -hmm. It has a cushion, a washer, a cushion, the body of the vehicle, another cushion, a washer, and a nut. And that all tightens up, and that's what insulates the shock from the vehicle. Right. Because as a general rule, the shock absorber does not have to rotate with the suspension, whereas a strut does. does. The spring has to move. So there's generally a big mount that has a bearing of some sort. Some, in it. A big square mount. When you open the hood, you look at each corner back toward the firewall mm-hmm. on a front-wheel drive vehicle, and you'll see the tower that comes up with a, a big washer and a nut in the middle and a couple bolts. Some have three, some have four right. around the circumference of that unit. And that's how it mounts. It's a big mount because it has to support a bearing. Which be- supports the weight which, of the car because it's got the spring and everything in it. Right. And that all has to turn. When you turn the steering wheel, that suspension part has to turn. Now, that can bring on a very, very weird symptom that some people just don't know exactly what's going on. And we call it memory steer. Okay. And what memory steer is, it's like the vehicle remembers the direction you last turned. In other words, you make a hard right turn, and then the car starts pulling to the right. Right. And you, and and you before, think, well, my car's pulling right. Except then you make a hard turn to the left, and it starts pulling to the left. Right. I've got a special strip on Corsi Boulevard. Where I do that same operation. Make a U-turn. I'm, I come onto that Corsi in a right-hand turn. If the vehicle's pulling right where it wasn't pulling right before, I'll go down and make a U-turn and around the median and come back. And if it's pulling left, right. coming back, it's then not, I know... It's not an alignment problem. Right. It's a memory steer because problem. Because what happens with alignment, alignment can pull right or it can pull left. It can't pull both ways. Correct. We get that a lot of times. People say, well, my car pulls pull. both ways. The alignment cannot pull both ways. It's set one way or it's set the other way. So it's going to go either left or it's going to go right. It's not going to pull both ways. Correct. When it's pulling both ways, something's binding in the front end. And what would happen is that that spring, as you start to turn the wheel, the spring pushes against that mount. If the mount binds, then spring pressure builds up, builds up, builds up. Eventually, boom, it kind of goes. Right. Well, when it comes back, same thing. Pressure builds the other way, builds the other way. Well, boom, it pops back. And but if it doesn't build quite enough pressure, it just it, keeps pulling the spring back in that direction. Or you don't turn it quite as far back. Far enough. Right. What it'll do is it will turn the spring back, which turns the wheel back. Right. The spring is twisting the suspension for you, whereas it, you'd be doing the same operation with the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. The spring is doing it because it's in a bound state right now. That's right. 
And that's an example of a worn or improperly installed strut mount. I have seen uh, new parts do that. Right. Especially some of the aftermarket stuff on like the Hondas. Hondas. Hondas You've notorious. got to use the original equipment Honda bearing. If you and put it, the aftermarket, it's going to do that. And especially some of the way the Hondas are built, you have to take apart the whole part of the dash to get to the strut tops mm-hmm. to get the struts out in the first place. So you don't want to do it twice. So, exactly. You don't want to do it twice. <laughs> And, you know, that's not the only thing that can cause a memory steer, but that is certainly one that of the That is one of the best. Another thing that we used to hear a lot is you get a popping noise when you turn the wheel. You turn the wheel, you get a cock, Pop, cock, cock, right. cock, And what it is, that spring is popping because that bearing is binding. Right, and it, the spring pops because the bearing jumps. Turns and it, jumps, turns and it, jumps, it, turns it jumps and jumps. instead of rolling smoothly. Well, it's it like trying to pull a weight on without wheels, just trying to pull a weight with a rubber band. Right, it's, it's, it's gonna not stretch. gonna pull. It's gonna stretch and then jump and then stretch and then jump and then stretch and jump. That's well, a good analogy. Like, yeah, uh, analogy. analogy. I like that. Yeah, that's the way it acts, and it does give a lot, a lot of trouble. And I know it's one of the parts that doesn't get diagnosed a lot. Uh huh. We've had a lot of cars come in that have had extensive front end work done, but they reuse the old strut mounts. Right, and that's the kinds of issues. Another problem that's kind of obscure that doesn't get traced to that a lot of time, and that's a knocking noise on acceleration or deceleration. Okay. Because on a front-wheel drive car, when you gun it and give it the gas, that wheel wants to go around and the body wants to hold still. Uh All of that force has to go through that strut and through that strut mount. Right. So there is a slam to the back on the mounts when you accelerate, and when you decelerate or brake, the slam to the front. And in time, that rubber gives way. It starts to break down. It gets cracked and torn and what have you. And you can get a knock noise on acceleration. A lot of times it gets misdiagnosed as a motor mount. Now, I have seen it work the opposite way. Right. It gets diagnosed as a strut problem. And, and it's a motor mount on the passenger side front that has gone bad. And what happens is the engine is balanced on the other three. Mm-hmm. And that mount is just kind of a stable. And when it breaks... And you hit a bump, the whole engine kind of moves up and down, and that mount will knock. Right. The, the Saturns used to be real bad about that. That's right. And, you know, motor mounts are one of those things that, again, it's taking the full force of the powertrain. The powertrain is rocking back and forth because, in effect, the crankshaft is spinning. When you engage power to the car, because of inertia, the car weight wants to remain still. Sure. But all that force has to go somewhere, and the motor will rock forward. And when you put it in reverse, it rocks, it rocks the other way because it's trying to torque all that weight and get it into motion. Once it's in motion, the effect is a lot less. It's right. still there, but because the body is already in motion, it takes a lot less energy to keep, keep it, going. it going. It's like the old thing, a body in motion wants to remain in motion. Right. And a body that's stopped wants to remain stopped. Same thing with this. And it all goes through those strut mounts, through those things. One last thing that I have seen, and this is kind of, weird but it can give you this thing and it gets misdiagnosed a lot and that is a pull on braking from a bad strut mount because again when you hit the brakes the wheel wants to stop but the strut mount moves because the body weight wants to go forward right and it changes what they call caster on the front end when the caster shifts one way the vehicle wants to pull that way right and i've seen people spend an inordinate amount of money on brakes and it'd be a a bad strut worn out mount. strut mount. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's everything you ever want to know about strut shocks and mounts. <laughs> and should you happen to want any more, there's our website you can go to, that's which right. is agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O.com. 
There's a vehicle questions That's section. Right. You can get your questions answered like that. That's right. Just, or send me an email. Or send an email. Get an and answer right back to you. There's also the vehicle topics. Yep. There you go. And that's the way you do that. Hey, we've got to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and fill out the written review for us. That's right. That'll move us up in the rankings where more people can hear us and we can keep on doing the show. That's what we're here for. There you go. Hey, pre Single's opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.